But I think our secular culture gets that message right, even those you may not agree with. Look, if you had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you wanted, one moment, would you capture it or let it slip? Yo. The rapper Eminem, some of you remember this more from a Super Bowl commercial, and some of you know it from just the music itself, goes on and says, you better lose yourself in the music. The moment you own it, you better never let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Yo, you know, anyway. I love the yo. You know, the yo is really just the modern day very, verily, I uh, say unto you, or it's the kind of behold, yo. And it's also one that rhymes a lot with a lot of other words. But anyway, I mean, I don't care whether you like his music or whether you enjoy his lifestyle or care a bit about it. He is spot on. He is spot on. Every one of us have been given within ourselves and with this life that we've been given this talent, this sense of, of gold. And we have a choice what we're going to do with it. That's what the point of the parable today that Jesus gives us of the talents is all about. He says the same thing. You've been given one life with gifts and talents and opportunities. You have this one shot, a once in a lifetime opportunity to give what you've got. Will you capture it? I'll look at some of you who are really young. And I think of you in your grade school, middle school years, your high school years, some of you are kind of listening. You have one life, one chance to use this in a way. And will you capture it? When I look at some of the rest of us who have lived a long life and yet before us, there are days and there are opportunities and you have had talents that you have had the opportunity through the experiences and training to make them skills in order to use it so they can really impact this kingdom God has made. Will you capture it or just let it slip? Yo. Look at Matthew chapter 25, 14 through 30. I'm going to have that up on the screen. It's the second of three parables that Jesus gives when he talks to his followers. He's talking to his disciples. He has just been on the temple grounds. He has, he has talked to the religious establishment and done something really profound. In, in seven woes, he stood before him and said, whoa, whoa. Judgment is coming and he, he's really giving them one last shot. Here's a, one more opportunity. Will you capture it or you, will you let it slip? And here's the incredible grace of God. There goes another generation yet before that actually gets destroyed. Forty years later, 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. And Jesus, as he's walking out, looks at everyone and he says, that temple, which they just were so, I mean, up stood on this hill when people would come into the city on pilgrimages, they would see this incredible, beautiful temple. And as they would see it, he says, not one brick will be upon another. And he walks out and as he's walking out, he says, guess what? Like Ezekiel did years before, um, you have rejected God. God is leaving this place. It is now a ghost town. And here's the irony of it all. God in flesh is Jesus as he walks from the temple grounds. He says, I'm leaving and I'm not going to be in that temple any longer. And he makes his way to the Mount 
Gethsemane. And at that Mount Gethsemane, he basically is trying to prepare people to say, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the huge spiritual shift that's going to take place, which he talks about in Matthew 24. And he comes to this parable now and he's speaking to his disciples who come to him and say, when is the temple going to fall? When will the signs of the end of the age come? They can't see that it's like two mountain peaks where they're just separated by time. And Jesus has to tell them there is a going to be this temple falling and there will be a time. And in that time of delay, before I come again, he gives a message to you and to me and to those disciples, anyone who wants to follow him. And he says, in that time, as you're waiting, here are some things to do. And so as we looked at this parable last week, um, it was about being prepared. This week, it's about investment. Matthew chapter 25 begins... It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. And I'm going to read the message because it has more of a story feel to it. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities to one, gave $5,000 to another, $2,000, and to a third, $1,000, depending on their abilities. And then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same. But the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one he had given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. And his master commended him. And he said, good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Or as you remember in, in other translations, well done. Good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's joy. The servant with 2,000 showed how he had also doubled his master's investment. His master commended him, good work, your job, your job well. From now on, be my partner. And the servant, given 1,000, said, Master, I know you have high standards and you hate careless ways. And that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. Now, let me just share with you. That is merely what a lot we, we do in our own lives. We just project how we feel about something and the way we treat others onto God. And that's what he's doing. And he says, you know what, this is what I see you as. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place, secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. And the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do the less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe, who won't go out on a limb kind of attitude. Throw him out into utter darkness. This week's story is all about what you do with what you've been given. What kind of manager of this one and only life that you have been given will you be? What will you have to show when you stand before God someday? When Jesus returns to examine your life, will you hear these words? I want you to really think about this. If Jesus is to return and stand before you, will you hear these words? Well done. Good and faithful servant. I just want you to stop and think about that. We are so busy in life, we get things. We're, we run, I run a, a million miles an hour. 
part of what this experience is to be is to stop and to slow down and say, what's really important with this one and only life that I have been given? And I just, in place of what God wants his servant to do, this is my prayer about God speaking to you right now, will you stop and just for a moment say, am I living in such a way that even if Jesus was to come right now, he'd go, well done. Well done. You have been faithful. You have sought to live in peace with other people. You have sought to be reconciled. You have you've done good things. You've held up boundaries where there have been people who have who have been abusing or hurting you. You have done the hard work. You have lived courageously. You have chosen to walk with the presence of God in your life and all the health that comes with it. There's four quick things that I want to share with you, and, and I just want you to take note real quickly on this. First, in this parable, it is about your life being entrusted to you by God. You are a manager and a steward. Every finance guy knows this. Every financial advisor, fund manager knows this. You do not have your own money. You're, you're usually you're investing someone else's. You're investing this life which God has given you. It's his, and you are investing it. Secondly, God gives people different gifts and opportunities. Isn't that a wonderful truth? You don't have to be in a comparison place anymore. It's not about what someone else may have. It's just about what you have. Jesus said that he uses the word talent. That talent was really just a measure of weight, whether it was silver or gold. It's kind of like we look at an ounce of gold and we watch its value go up and down. And he says these guys were given these different, these different gifts and different opportunities. Your part is what you do with it. It's not about how much you've been given. I just want you to catch this sense. It is not your talent which matters. What matters is how you use it. Okay? Everyone has different pieces, a part to play. You and only you have certain unique opportunities that come into your life that only you can actually meet those needs that God is looking for you to meet. Where you work, you're the only person in your family who can be that piece in the family. I was uh, playing with a jigsaw puzzle, and Grace and I were putting one together, which was way beyond ourselves, so we finally put it away. But we, we got a little bit. And you have corner pieces, really important pieces, and then the edge pieces. You look for the edge pieces. And then you look for some that have some color that you can distinctly put together. And then there are some pieces that are like black or gray, right? But think about it for a second. Some of you might be corner pieces, some of you might be edge pieces, some of you might have those distinct colors, and every one of us are given different pieces, different opportunities, different gifts, different talents to be used in God's kingdom for the lives of others. And when you get a puzzle done, if you get a puzzle done and there's three or four missing pieces, it's just not complete, is it? And God looks down at this puzzle of his work that he's putting together, and he's waiting for you to step into that place to complete that picture. Third thing I want to share with you, it's not your talent, is, is this. God gives everyone an opportunity to live for him. Everyone has the opportunity to live for him. Seems kind of you know, simple. It's not your job to bring about the result of the investment. It, it's his when you put it into his hands. It's not your job to bring that increase. It is only your job to invest. And everybody in this room can have a relationship where they are right with God. And as they move into that relationship with God, as they invest their life, they can give it to God and watch him bring the increase. I want you to note this again. We are not equal in talent, but guess what? We can be equal in effort. 
And that's up to you. And then the fourth thing is your life here impacts what you do in the next life. I just have to say this. This is all about the return of Christ. This is about this age. You know, this life will end. And it's all about what will happen in the next life. And for those who invest, he says more is given. And there's a whole message, I can't even get into it, about rewards. We have such crazy ideas of what the afterlife is. You have some faiths that talk about it being getting 70 virgins and others who say you move into nothingness. And you have all these different things. And Jesus was really quite clear. It's not even the fact that these you know, people, he doesn't come to them and go, good job, sit back, kick back, rest, relax. He basically says, i got more for you to do. And the idea is not that he had been working. In there. It's this idea that they're, who they are is being expressed as they walk with God. God, they, they're in a sense of flow. You ever been in those kind of situations in your work and you don't even know the time's going by? It goes by so quickly. Last Friday night, I was with a group of people and we were in conversation. And before you knew it, it was like 11 o'clock and it just it flowed. It's this idea that you'll be in relationship with others. You'll be using who you are and what you are for eternity in such a way that there's such a flow that you won't even know there's a sense of time. When we have this idea that we're going to go up and be tenors in a choir and sing all day, and, and God help us if that's the case for much of us, right? God wants to use your passion for eternity, your dreams, and who you are, and your gifts and your talents. And He says you use them now. Learn to get into that place of flow with the Holy Spirit working in your life, and guess what? You're going to experience it even more so for eternity. That's what I want to do. And then he makes this statement. And on the other hand, and this is found in each of the three parables that we'll be looking at, the third one even is most stated there. For those who fail to invest their life, as Jesus states, he says in the first parable, the door is locked. The opportunity is over. The useless servant is cast in outer darkness. The goats are thrown in the next parable into eternal punishment. And Jesus is speaking to his followers. And and, and I said this last week, I'm going to say it again, because the church needs to hear this. This is why he's speaking to his followers, because we mess it up. We think if we can just live this real safe life and we we move so easily into self-righteousness rather than living in humility and dependency and staying in our brokenness with authenticity and transparency and saying to people who are in trouble and their life is messed up, they, they they look at us and they go, yeah, you know what, you have something I need and want. But we can get so easily smug in our self-righteousness, which was happening with the Pharisees. So Jesus needs to say this message because we begin to think if we can just control our behaviors. This is not transformation, but how we conform our behaviors in a certain way externally. And we don't do certain things, then we're going to be OK. But his his listen to this. What evokes Jesus's severest censure is not so much that his servant is actively doing wrong, but it is his servant's failure to do good when the opportunity was before him. One commentator writes, the sins of omission are seen to be more damning than the sins of commission, and the door is shut against the foolish virgin for their negligence. The unenterprising, talented servant is cast out as a good-for-nothing for doing nothing. And third, those goats on the left are severely punished for failing to notice the many opportunities for showing kindness, little things like giving a glass of water, making a visit to prison. Handing out some clothes. So what are you doing with your life? What are you investing your life in? I got this ad as I was preparing this message in my personal email account this week. It was a Groupon. And for those of you who may not be real Internet savvy, Groupons are basically computer coupons. 
kind of ads that you get on the computer. And the title of the subject line read, Anti-Boredom Deals You Might Only Live Once, which captured my attention because, man, that's what we're talking about. So I'm, this is hot off the press for if you want to live a real exciting life. The copy read, Deals to Keep Things Exciting, Banish Boredom with deals on fun-filled activities, games, magazines, and more. And the first ad read this way, 57% off barbecue bullets and beer. Did you get that? I mean, there's a reason. I mean, it was at some hunt club. There's, there's a reason why the government has ATF, because alcohol, tobacco, and firearms strangely don't mix well. <laughs> but I suppose if you're bored, barbecue, bullets, and beer might spice up life. Another ad said 68% off bowling with pizza. I'm going, <laughs> that's going to get rid of Dullesville? Another 88% off, this is a lot off on this one, photography and Photoshop course. <laughs> Yawn. Um, another reads 52% off two pairs of soccer boppers, inflatable boxing gloves for safe jabs and uppercuts. What a great idea for a date night. Anyway, um, really, let's get real. How about living with Jesus with all that you have so the God of the universe begins to flow through your life doing things you could never imagine? I, I just can imagine the group, and I'd love it if we got in our, in our, our email account and said, half price on a night in the lion's den. You think swimming with the dolphins is an experience? 40% off five stones in a slingshot. Face your giants. 62% off of seeing blind men receive sight, a lame man walk, a mute talk. Trade in your fishing poles and really live an adventurous life. And to everybody. This is what the whole message is about. The temple is coming down because he wanted to fill you with his Holy Spirit. To everyone, the group on in the word of God is this. Free for the asking. A life filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ paid a price you could be right with God. Jesus Christ left this earth to give you a gift, and all you have to do is receive it and then walk in it. Now, I'm through, and some of you are maybe shocked. Um, you're not getting out early. Too bad. A year ago, I went with Davey Olson to Mongolia to visit George Kenworthy and Terry and their kids, and... Uh, I want to tell you that's a long trip. Incredible ministry in a town of 20,000 some people. And in this town of Sukhbatar, they are the only Westerners, the only ones who speak English. It is just miles from Siberia. A good sunny day is 42 below in the winter. And I had to ask George, why do you do it? And I'm going to ask George to come up and share with us what God laid on his heart. I, I, George, where are you here for a second? I know you're somewhere here. George, I'm going to ask you to come up and share from your heart. And, and what, I, what I want you to know is that, catch this here. Not, God, when he comes into your life, does not ask you all to go to Africa or Mongolia. You know what he asks you to do? Take your life, understand the passions, drives, listen to his word and his calling, and begin to see where does God want to move you. Because some of you need to be just great moms right now. You need to invest in your kids with all your life and heart. Some of you just need to, you know, do what God's calling you in your business. Create the best business work environment and raise funds and give them a way to help people. I mean, there's all kinds of ways, but George, you, you get called to practically Siberia. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. So I'm going to let George just go ahead and share what God has placed in his heart around this passage.
Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me this morning. It's always a privilege. It's always a pleasure to come back to Wyzetta, our home church. You guys have been nothing but love for us. You've been nothing but support. And we really couldn't have done this without you. So I think about uh, this passage quite a bit. What are the talents? What's my one shot? When Jesus comes back as my Lord and I stand before him, what am I going to be accountable for? What's he going to ask me? But I also think about that part that Kevin was talking about. How do I have my Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter your master's joy? How do I get to that point? Am I the five-talent guy? Am I the two-talent guy? Or am I the one-talent guy that Jesus eventually rejects? And for me, it's what Kevin said. It's how you live. It's how you live. I'm all about the how. For me, the talents of the faith are simple. There are things that are repeated over and over and over in the Bible. Jesus talks about themes. The New Testament followers of Jesus, they lived a certain way. They did things over and over and over. They showed us how to live. The talents of the faith come from the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with everything you got. Don't hold back. Love him fully in submission. And out of that love for God, love your neighbor. Don't hold back. And go out and make disciples. Bring other people into this beautiful community. So to put it in a nutshell as to how I'm to live my life, I'm to live in community with God and with others in complete humility. And this one always gets me a little bit because it's a simple truth. It's easy, I understand, I understand how to do it. But the other part of it is I often don't do it as a Christian, and I see the church not doing it either. As Christians, we're often not forgiving. We don't love each other. We're selfish, and we're convinced that we have this vertical pipeline to God and his will and his direction We don't love him humbly. We don't live for others. We don't die to self. If you're living humbly before God, that's the natural part of it. That comes from your talents. You die to self. That's it. That's all I know. That's all I care about. That's how I'm to live. For me, the two words that define faith, talents, how we're to live, are humility and compassion. If we have these two characteristics, the rest falls into place. We stop thinking about ourselves. Our love for God cannot be a love for God that is totally vertical and a love that somehow ignores the needs of others. If we're doing it like that, we're doing it incorrectly. If we're inward focused and not outward focused in a way that's costing us something, if we're not dying to ourselves to love other people, we're not doing it right. This passage, the talents, the inaction, it motivates me. It changes who I want to spend my free time. It changes how I want to spend my free time. I think about the one talent servant all the time. And for me, these three parables, like Kevin was saying, in Matthew go together. You have the bridegroom and the virgins and the five that are too late. They did nothing. Then you have the talents, the five, the two, and the one, and the one did nothing. And then you have the sheep and the goats. And the point here again is that some did nothing. They did not take the risk. They just sat. And for me, the point Jesus is making here is that my life should be outward focused. It's an attitude. It's a heart attitude. It's how I live. Compassion and humility are about how we deal with other people. Are we thinking about other people and their needs? or Are we thinking about ourselves? Are we reaching out to those in pain or are we at home? 
When we argue with someone, are we convinced that we're right 100% of the time and 100% right, or do we occasionally listen to other people and find wisdom in different perspectives? And all three of these passages have judgment. I want to just mention something about Matthew 31 through 46, because for me, it defines perfectly the how. How do we live? What are our talents? How do we use them? It's defined right here. There are certain things in life that can be called, if I only knew, regrets. If I only knew it was you, I would have behaved differently, Jesus. Jesus tells us what to do with our talents, where to live for others, and then in detail, he tells us what that looks like. And Jesus says, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom is prepared from you from the creation of the world because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I couldn't read. You helped me read. I didn't have a job. and You helped me find a job. You got me training. My wife died and you showed up and provided meals. I was sick in the hospital and you came and visited Jesus will say, whatever you did for the least of these, your brothers and sisters, you did it for me. And whatever you did not do for the least of these, your brothers and sisters, you did not do for me. He's saying that the ultimate test of a transformed life is compassion that costs. It's outreach. If anyone does not love their brother and sister who they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. If anyone says they love God but do not love their brother and sister, they're a liar. We have a choice. We can look away or we can reach out. It's compassion and humility. And I'll tell you the most sobering part about this story to me is what Kevin was talking about. Jesus doesn't say, you robbed from the least, you lied from the least, you oppressed the least. What he says is you did nothing. You didn't do anything. You looked away. The thing that woke me up about the talents and how I perceive this is one of the first outreaches we've had. And some of you may have heard this story. We did an outreach in Mongolia and we had two children die during that time. I've seen other deaths in Mongolia and poverty, but it was these two kids that really just broke me. I withdrew after that. And for about a period of six months, I didn't use my talents. I hid. But it was the parable of the talents that came back to me again. And eventually, in the silence of my God, I did sing the broken hallelujah. And let me just interject at this point. I need to tell you guys that I'm the one talent guy. I'm not the awesome missionary. I'm not really a big fan of the awesome missionary. The missionary comes back and says, hey, look at me, I'm awesome. Yeah, maybe Jesus loves me a little bit more. But that's, that's not me. I'm not up here saying, look at me, look how I've suffered Christ, look what I've done, look at my victory. It's just the opposite here. I'm here to tell you that I am the one talent guy. I've turned away too many times. I've thought about myself too many times, and the only thing I'll be able to do when I stand before my Maker is say, forgive me. Have mercy on me. I've been too focused on other things. I've let the clinic preoccupy things, the logistics, the building process, the money. I've forgotten why we're doing it. Whenever someone new comes into my life, someone in pain that needs my compassion, my first instinct is to hide, to run, to turn, because there's risk. I'm scared every time. But there's also that part of me where the compassion fights with me, 
And for me, I can't ever think that there shouldn't be tension. It's one of the secrets. There should be tension. That's what propels us forward. But I'm telling you about that ugly side of me. When God has brought someone in pain to me that needs my compassion in my heart, I think, God, please take this person away from me. I'm too busy to help this person. I'm doing something much more strategic for the kingdom. God, please take this person away. I will stand before God, and the only thing I will be able to say is forgive me. To all the children whose lives are crossed to Mongolia, I'm sorry. To every kid that I looked at, and that kid looked back at me and said, Bahui, which translated means I have nothing. I'm sorry. To every child I've passed by with nothing more than a smile or a wave, I'm sorry. To the kids without anything to eat, I'm sorry I did not give you my dinner. I'm sorry for eating until I was stuffed. I'm sorry for eating three times a day. But the countless without enough firewood to keep warm. And to the boy that lost his foot because his foot froze and froze again. And was eventually cut off. And I did not give him my firewood. I'm sorry. For the kids without warm clothes, I'm sorry I have three winter jackets and warm boots. Or the kid is so malnourished he cannot get He cannot get out of bed. I'm sorry I did not give you my vitamin supplement. Jesus forgive me for not using my talents, for not giving to you when you're hungry or cold or dying. Forgive me for not giving you food or firewood. Forgive all my ingratitude. Forgive me for forgetting you so quickly, for seeing you one moment, and then forgetting you the next. I pray I'll never forget your hungry eyes or the gears just made out of felt, felt that you live in that do not properly, adequately, adequately shelter you during the cold winter. Father, may their faces... May your face, may their poverty, may your poverty always be part of me. Father, give me strength so that when I see another in need, I'll never turn away again. Forgive me. Inaction is a sin. Inaction means to die so that they can live. And I ask myself, how do I do it? Well, it's outreach. It's outward focused. It's living a life of compassion and humility. And I tell you, I'm the one town guy. I want to live in my comfort zone. And I know some of you want to live in your comfort zone this morning too, but don't do it. Make yourself uncomfortable. Don't spend your life going to work and school. Don't you spend your life going to church and surrounding your peop- yourself with people that look exactly like you, that play exactly like you. Be compassionate. Don't come to church to be comfortable and live. Come to church to find ways to die. 
And it's one of the things I respect most about what's happening in Wyzetta now, in the last few years. This is where I see Kevin taking us. We're becoming in contact with people who live in awful conditions, who are different from us, different languages, different economic conditions, different skin color. It's happening. I respect that a lot. Wyzetta is now outreach-focused. How we live, Jesus gets asked, what's the meaning of life? And he does that, and he sums it up in terms of relationships. And I'm very grateful for that. That's why God is good. He comes to us and reminds us. Someone comes into our lives and gives us a shirt off their backs, shows us the path again. It's in community that this happens. I mentioned the two kids that died that had a deep impact on me. I withdrew. I didn't want to use my talents anymore. I ran from kids in pain because I didn't want any more pain in my life. But there was another pivotal moment in my life. Someone came and showed me and showed me how to live again, how to follow Jesus, how to be on fire for Jesus, how to use my talents. Her name was Oyuna. This was during the period when I was in not using my talents effectively. We did the outreach, and we are in different communities. And she was a new believer at this point, about two two years, two years in, two and a half years. And she was living in a community that never heard the name of Jesus, but it was an awful living situation. It was poor. You could go into her cabin and literally through the cracks in the wall see the outside. And so we were making arrangements for, she had children, we were making arrangements for her to come in closer. But she said no. There's nobody here that's a light. I need to stay here in this community with these people and be a light. She wanted to use her talents. She wanted to be that person for God. Winter came to Mongolia. As Kevin mentioned, it can get minus 50. And when that happens, winter came to Mongolia and her little girl her little girl got sick. And the medical relief at that time was not very good either. And there was a battle, and there was a struggle, but that little girl lost. And she came back to our church, and at that point, I'm hopeless. What do you say to someone who's lost their beautiful little girl? What can you do? How can you help? But she changed the course of my life forever, She gave me something I'll never forget. She came to Bible study, and this is about two months in, so it's still fresh. It's still raw. And at the end of Bible study, she prayed. It was a prayer that humbled me. It was a prayer that humiliated me. It was a simple prayer, and it was beautiful. And I know after she prayed, while she prayed, there were angels singing and rejoicing. She prayed. God is good. God is good. God is good. She just kept repeating over and over again. God is good. Piper once said, God is most glorified in the midst of our deepest pain and sorrow, not in the midst of our wealth and prosperity. She kept on. She didn't hide. She invested again. All I can tell you is that I'm a fool. I'm not kind. I'm not patient. I'm not very forgiving. I'm not compassionate. 
Not until I fall before my Lord at the cross. I'm nothing at the cross. And somehow in that broken moment of suffering and loss, my Savior's loss, that I become beautiful. And only in that moment can I find strength to be more than I am, to use my talents for him. It's often been said of God that nobody can see his face and live. I've often thought that meant his glory, yeah, his spectacular being. But after being face-to-face with him at the cross, I think it has different meaning for me now. Maybe nobody can see God's sorrow and live. Or maybe his glory is his sorrow. Life's so simple. In a world that's fallen and incredibly painful sometimes, it's a wonderful gift from God. It wouldn't be so painful if the gift weren't so wonderful. I get so preoccupied with the stuff that doesn't matter and worry about money, success, possessions, the future, and God says every moment is a gift from me. Take the risk. Embrace this gift of life. Love those you're close to. Get to know me. Put your trust in Christ who loves you and died for you. Embrace it. Take the risk. For that's what you were made for. I am grateful. I'm trying to use my talents. I'm trying to live with humility and compassion. I'm also proud. But every once in a while I get a glimpse of my master's joy. I am allowed to participate in the kingdom in a very cool way. And I'm grateful for that. I also know that I couldn't do it if I didn't rely on people. I know I'm not a smart man, but I'm smart enough to know that I'm surrounded by smart people. I'm on the receiving end of love all the time. And as I look out on this congregation, I see a lot of people that give me the shirts off their backs, that fed me when I was hungry, that carried me when I couldn't walk. Why is that a... Thank you very much. We love you. I'm a blessed man. Father, always keep me grateful. Never let me boast. Help me live your dreams and not my own. There's one thing I want more than anything. It's what we all want. When I stand before the throne, when I fall on my knees and face before the throne, I want to hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful son. Enter my joy. Thank you.